Well, welcome back to Two Pastors and a Mic. My name is Shannick. And I'm Corey. And we're so glad that you're joining us wherever you're listening from. Remember to review us, rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, wherever it. you're listening to. And if you're watching, thank you for watching us on YouTube. Hey, YouTube. Uh, leave, a, leave a comment. Let yeah. us know what you think about the podcast or maybe ask a question there. And speaking of questions, the question of the week, it is Mother's Day this Sunday. Sunday. So the question is, what is your favorite thing about your mom? Yeah, a lot. I could say a lot. And I just want to say, I know my mom listens to, in fact, when we started this podcast, we assumed it was just going to be our moms yeah. listening to. So I know my mom has listened to almost every episode. And anytime I praise my dad, my mom's like, why haven't you talked about me? So here it is, Nancy, wherever you're, Some words of affirmation. Wherever you're watching, I, I love how supportive you are of me. I love how much you love my family. You love my wife, my kids obviously your grandkids. Uh, I just appreciate who you are as a mother figure in our lives as a whole, as a whole unit in the family. So uh, I also love how people are like, as soon as I meet your mom, you make sense. <laughs> I would say that is an accurate statement. So I love, of course, how, I love your mom. I love yeah. Nancy, but as soon as you meet her, it's like, Okay, I totally understand Corey now. Yeah, you're loud and fun, and I appreciate that about yeah. you. Yeah, I guess, of course, we're really good friends, and I love hanging out with you, so it only makes sense. Yeah, when your mom's <laughs> in town, it's like, yeah, it's Two just another extension. Yeah, <laughs> love it. So, uh, yeah, I would say with my mom, to answer that question, um, some of the same things that you actually just said for my mom would be true uh, for the favorite things for me about her because she's very inclusive. She loves well. She loves my wife well. She loves her grandkids well. Always there for them. Of course, when people in my life are supported that way, that just makes my heart so happy. And so that's one of my favorite things about my mom is her inclusivity, not just with my family, but really with everyone. Like yep. she is such a good example of that to how to love well. Um, and she does it with everybody that walks into her life. And so she has set that example for me. And so I'll say that's my favorite thing about my mom. Uh, I had a, I have to add a little disclaimer and do a part B with that or a second part of what I love about my mom. And you guys see me now on video, you know, I'm a bigger guy and oh my gosh, my mom can throw down when it comes to cooking, like anything, all things, but especially desserts. And you already know, we talk about this a lot on this podcast. <laughs> you still need some healing. <laughs> my mom is the dessert queen and I love her to death for it. Um, yeah, I love desserts and I love my mom. So they go hand in hand. Hey, <laughs> I love your mom too. You said, you said some nice things about my mom. Same thing for your mom. I gotten over the last year, the ability to do counseling with her. Like we both counsel individuals and it is one of my favorite things to watch your mom in that setting because she is so intelligent and so good in those situations, bringing healing and health. To yeah, people. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. She does have a lot of wisdom and right. a lot of experience. Yep. Yeah, over a lot of years. So, all of our moms out there. Yeah. Happy Mother's yeah, Day. Happy if you're Mother's listening, Day. We appreciate all the moms, especially even my wife. You're a great mom, too. Yeah, absolutely. You want to give Man, a shout out yeah. to Mel? Yeah, you Mel, better, you're an incredible I mom. I know. Why, I know I have to. <laughs> no, I would want to for sure. But we're picking back up uh, in our series for this month Lies We Believe About God. Again, we're going through uh, William Paul Young's book with the same title. And really, um, I think there's 20 something lies in the book. But we're only picking up 10 of them, going over two a week. And last week, you remember, we talked about how God is good, I am not. That's a lie. That's the lie, mm -hmm. that we're not good. And then chapter six says, God wants to use me. And I know that's been a big pet peeve of yours yep. when people use that language. Like, let's change that because really, 
words matter, and that speaks to our view of who, of who God is, that he doesn't want to use us, but he does want to empower us. Yeah. Um, so this week, um, we got, I think, uh, something a little spicy for you. Spicy. Yeah. It is um, spicy. Just because it's Mother's Day week, so there's a yeah. couple different things in his book, a couple chapters that, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know if I wanted to go there, but since they're in the book, we can kind of throw William Paul Young under the bus yeah. to say, hey, we're just reading what he has written and we're taking that um, that information and really conveying that with our our thoughts to it. Yeah. Um, but the first um, the first lie we want to talk about is chapter six uh, chapter in seven. his book, chapter seven, you know, chapter, chapter seven, seven. And that is the lie that God is more he than she. Yeah. Now, make sure you you hear me right when I say that the lie is God is more he than she. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there. I am not super educated on this topic. Yeah, it's a topic that I find interesting. It's a topic I do want to address. And we decided to do it on today's podcast because I would say um, we at Hill City, and I know me specifically, I champion the cause of empowering women, especially women in ministry. They have been stifled and shunned and put to the side for far too long. Um, and so we definitely want to empower women. Yeah. Um, but we do have some thoughts on on this idea that God is more he than she. And I think there could be um, maybe more people that can shed light, <laughs> some good insight into this conversation than us. But we just wanted to give you some food for thought. And remember, this podcast is us like going through sometimes our own process. Yeah, We might not fully convey... Um, you know, everything there is about a, uh, a specific topic, but we just want to convey our process and heart uh, in it. So I just wanted to put that disclaimer out there so that you, the listener, are just open to think about this. Yeah. All right. So let's set the background just a, for a little bit. So this is William Paul Young's book. This is a lie. But if you remember, William Paul Young wrote a book. It's called The Shack. You may have heard of it. It's pretty famous. He actually, um, or it became a movie. Yeah. Now, I remember when all this came out. Matter of fact, I was in seminary getting my master's hmm. at Southern Seminary. Which is against this idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I'm not even going to go there right now. Let's let's <laughs> save that for a little bit later. Um, but I remember when this movie came out, and in seminary it was a widely discussed book. And there was a lot of, I'll say, there's like some good positive things about it. And personally, I loved the movie got me in the feels. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but, mm -hmm. and I haven't read the book. I will say that, but I've watched the movie. Um, but it was powerful, a powerful story. And there were some good things about it. A lot of good publicity, but in the church world, there was a, a lot of negativity surrounding this book and the movie and the negativity stemmed from the description of God as portrayed by William Paul Young and God in the movie and in the book is a big black woman and her name was Papa. Mm -hmm. Now, that might have already shocked you if you haven't read the book or seen the movie. Right. That this guy decided to portray God as a woman and not just a woman, a black woman. Mm -hmm. And so, so definitely some controversy around this. Yep. And that's why he wanted to address it in his book and address this lie that God is more he than she. Now, there is so much more out there on this topic, if you really do care about it, to dive in, to study this. And there's a the scholar, actually, we both we both follow him, we listen to him, we learn from him. 
and he actually recommended several books. So I'm just going to throw them out there in case you are interested in this topic. But there's a book by Suzanne McCarthy, and it's called Valiant or Virtuous, Gender Bias and Bible Translation. Yep. There's a book by Charles Hatton called A Human-Shaped God. And there's a book by Francesca, I can't even pronounce her last name, Stavra Kolopolo. Yeah. <laughs> and it's called God, an Anatomy. Yeah, that one's a very educational book, by the way. Yeah, so I understand some of the things. I haven't read these books, but I can only imagine that they're addressing the fact that God is overwhelmingly, but not unilaterally, represented as male in the Bible. But I really do think it's way more complex than this. Because mm -hmm. let's think about it. The masculine and feminine nature of God is a circle of relationship. Right. Right? Because think about it. We are all male and female, made in his image, mm -hmm. right? Go back to Genesis 1. In his image and likeness, he created them, Yeah, both yeah. of them. Male and female. So both of them, male and female, is made in the image of God. And all throughout Scripture, right, you do have the masculine side, right? God is known as Father, known as King. He's referred to as He. But then there's also feminine with it too, right? He is like the nursing mother. He the, the, I think it's Luke 15, the story yeah. of the woman who loses a coin, yeah. right? And all throughout scripture, you have this imagery of God and they're on both sides of this masculine and feminine, right? There's the rock, the strong tower, the mountain, the shield, the lioness, the eagle, the mother bear, the lamb. But yeah. if you think about it, the imagery was never intended to define God, right? Imagery is a window through which we see aspects and facets of the nature and character of God. And so we have to think about that idea that it's not that God is more he than she, like he has to encompass both. Yeah. It's not an either or, it's a both. Both and. and. Yeah. 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 I wrote a blog a couple of years ago. It's probably now that I'm looking at it, a very inappropriate <laughs> title. Especially pertaining to this <laughs> subject we're There's talking about today. There's a song that we grew up on called, throw some D's on it. And if you know what we're talking about, then you know exactly. So I, I wrote a blog called Throw Some D's on it, which is once I read this blog, you're going to understand kind of why that's very crude. And I apologize for that. But I have gained so much more understanding about God since being in an intimate relationship with my wife, because I'm one of four boys, didn't grow up m with much understanding about females. Uh, and in a world where few under uh, few understand proper masculinity, especially in our American culture, I find it ironic how many don't recognize the feminine attributes of God. And I've learned so much more about God, again, since being married to Julia. But in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 2, God first uses the name El Shaddai when he refers to multiplying Abraham's offspring. And this word often gets translated as the Almighty God. You know, Amy Grant right. made this huge song in the 90s. El Shaddai. El... <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Oh, just I know exactly childhood what you're talking about. To my brain. Anyways, assuming the word to speak of strength, translators thought that Shaddai came from the root verb, sh verb Shaddad, which means to overpower or to destroy. And most scholars actually agree that it means God of the mountain from these root words. However, Shaddai or Shaddai is a phrase used in the Passover Haggadah, which means sufficient. So Jacob's blessing, which was given in Genesis 49:25, uses the word Shaddaiam, which means sufficiency or nourishment. And it comes from the root word shad, which means breast. So in the context of the two passages above, 
the words are used to talk about fruitfulness and fertility, fertility, not overpowering or destroying. Therefore, El Shaddai, in some translations and some scholars agree, does not just mean God Almighty, but also could mean the God of many breasts, which is really interesting to think about because I know that might be shocking, yeah. but if you can get past the comedy of that, it's actually an incredible picture of God's nurturing love for all of humanity, a love that sustains us and provides nourishment just like a mother with her newborn. And God is not just an everlasting father, but an infinite mother pouring out his blessings and provision on his children. Mm, I love that. And I think that's what we want to kind of, kind of address in this. God is not just an everlasting father, but an infinite, and I'll say intimate mother. Mm. And yep. that, that's really what we want to address in this. Yeah. So happy Mother's Day. <laughs> it's, it's a fun conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's very, like, I like what you said. Yeah. Overwhelmingly in the Bible, God is referenced as a he, yep. so to speak. But it's not a unilateral thing. And I think the fact that there was so much controversy around the shack is sad because you miss so many cool other attributes of God that can impact your soul in a real and intimate way. Yeah. Because so. really, at the end of the day, like, God is spirit. He's not a man or woman. Right. But we're so used to saying but he. just the characteristics, right, of him. And we're used to calling him he. And, of course, Jesus refers to him as father. Yeah. Um. But, but yeah, I think we have to get to the place where we, I think this just does nothing but hopefully empower the women who are listening to this. Yeah. Like, you too are created in the image and likeness of God, just as we men are. Yeah. And speaking of that, not necessarily the mother figure, but we did an episode way back in our deconstruction series, episode 49, where we deconstruct female oppression. And and that's where we understand how women should be empowered, specifically in leadership roles and in the church and how people have manipulated scripture to abuse women or not even give them a voice. When I think it's wrong if you're in leadership in a church and you don't have women in a room that makes decisions because you're only getting half of the perspective Perspective. of the church. Yep. So just a little food for thought. The one yeah. I'm going to focus on comes from chapter 10, which uh, a kind of similar conversation, but you know, the church world doesn't do a great job talking about sex. But the, the lie that we believe about God is that God is a prude. That's the lie from chapter 10. And uh, man has the church messed this up, in my opinion. And we talk about sex. I think it was episode six. So back in the day where we address sex, so there's not that was a, a lot, long time ago, long right time now, ago, in our perspective. Yeah, we talk about. But so God is a prude. So before I we get into this, I want to make sure fully prude, like as in he doesn't like want us to be having sex. He's yeah. against sex. God is just a prude. He doesn't want me to have fun. Yeah, you know, with sex, right? Yeah. Okay. Like, well, sexuality. People in the church, we are so uncomfortable talking about sexuality when we should be very comfortable talking about sexuality because sexuality originates from God. It's his gift. And yes, there's proper context, but there's so much shame specifically even within our culture that no wonder Christians are uncomfortable talking about sex. And I can't tell you how many times I've had young people who get married and there is frustration within the first year of their marriage because they still feel dirty having sex because of what they were taught from the church about sex. And that to me breaks my heart. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I just wanted to, I just want to convey that because I hear that. And sometimes, of course, I've heard a lot, it, it mostly reference to women. Oh, she's just a prude. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have a different connotation or thinking of prude. I just wanted to make sure yeah. that that was clear. Like, so Hey, this is similar. the lie yeah, yeah. that we're addressing for sure. Because, you know, 
sexuality does become abused and destructive when it's used outside of relationship. And even in the scripture, there is a celebration of the divine toward union, toward co-creativity, toward knowing and being known. And those words, when you read in scripture where it talks about know, knowing and being right. known, those are sexual words, which is very so intimate. very intimate. It's so weird to think about that God knows you and wants to be known with you. There's so much intimacy in that connotation. And so it, it's important when the New Testament tells us that the divine nature of God has been placed within us, the Greek word used is sperma. Hmm. So sexual union is knowing the other. It's the intimacy of face-to-face -face oneness, which is beautiful when you can remove the perverted uh, right. connotation the that our culture it, yeah. plays on a part of it. Yeah. And he says something in the book, which I thought I wanted to just quote. He says, sexuality is a beautiful and creative force only when it is an expression of agape which is a Greek word that means other-centered, self-committed love. And God is agape, according to 1 John. And at some point, we severed sexuality from agape and legitimatized a category of eros, which is the Greek word for sexuality, and its der derivative erotica. How do you mm -hmm. say that word? Der yeah, derivative. Der derivative. Erotica. In the classical word or world, eros was a demonic god focused only on self-centered and self-servicing power, in which others were a means of self-gratification, so think pornography, and using sexuality to find wholeness, yet it's only infatuation. It's yeah. not it's Eros not agape. is only infatuation. Only, yeah. So true love finds its fulfillment in the other and is therefore never blind. Infatuation is purposefully blind because it's finding its fulfillment only in the self and the self-need. So it shouldn't be surprising, and I actually found this surprising when I read this. I had to look this up because yeah. what I'm about to say is fascinating. Yeah, in the book I had no idea... Whenever, yeah, I read that, I had no idea yeah. that what you're getting ready to say had, actually was true. So it shouldn't be surprising that the Greek word eros is actually not found in Scripture. Yes, it's found in theological conversations, and it's found in the concept of, uh, it, it's found in, or the concept is expressed in the Hebrew Bible, but it's not in the Greek at all. And it stands in opposition to agape. So eros is the opposite of agape because mm. the church will tell you there's four words for love. There's actually seven Greek words for love. And I used to say that there are four that are found in scripture, but Eros is not found in scripture. So there's right. only three found in scripture, which that was news for me when I was studying this out. And so pornography like infatuation is obviously non-relational. It's an imaginary relationship that requires none of the risks of a real one. In fact, it is the, oppo uh, it is the opposite of knowing which is the pull of pornography, which we right. talked on this podcast in episode six. And I've met with several guys since they've listened to episode six. But if you're struggling with pornography, I'm, I'm available to help. Um, there's so much shame around this. And men tend to have this draw. I know women do too. But we could, the, the root issue, it, the, the issue isn't porn. The root issue, in my opinion, is desire, desire. every time. Yeah. You go back to... Um, and it's not just being desired by your spouse, but being desired from God and knowing who you are and what you're about. So, yeah, there's a lot of um, our culture has confused proper sexuality and then has forced it down our throat to be a certain way. And no wonder the church shuts right. up about it because most of the people in the church are so uncomfortable yeah. because they've experienced it in abusive yeah. ways. So basically what you were saying and what I think William Paul Young then was saying in this chapter is that this idea of our sexuality should be included in agape, this unconditional yeah. love, not separated out. That's very self-gratifying, which 
like you said, that like legitimized coming up with this whole new word called eros, Mm -hmm. which is very self-centered, self-fulfilling instead of realizing no sexuality. We've done the job of taking that out of agape when it should be included, when it's others focused in our sexuality. Facts. He actually concludes the chapter of chapter 10. He says this, I thought it was phenomenal. He said, human sexuality is a good and right language of intimacy. And it turns out that it is not God who is the prude. It is us. Hmm. And it's such a challenge that sexuality should be talked about specifically within the church. And because there's so much shame involved, no wonder there's so much shame that's a part of sexuality as a whole. So, Yeah, no, I think it's really good. Hopefully it's good food for thought, something you can begin to have conversation around, maybe with um, with your spouse. I know for Mel and I, like it took COVID this time of, you know, separation from our busyness and the distractions mm-hmm. and everything else to really come together to kind of even talk about some of these issues like sexuality and how sometimes uh, we feel like the church has jacked us up even. And yeah. I feel like we were raised in pretty healthy environments, but there was still this negative connotation that removes sex from this idea of agape and how God instituted it. And, um, really the church doesn't want to go there and want to talk about it because there is this, I guess, um, bend towards, uh, perversion of it Mm -hmm. and it could get there easily. Mm -hmm. So they don't address it when they should be addressing it so that people can have full sexual intimate lives with their, with their spouses. And so, I actually learned in in my individual counseling, they talk about the narcissistic wound. I think I've talked about it on this podcast before, but it's not narcissism. There's a narcissistic wound that many of us deal with we don't have the right language for, and it's when you had a certain need, an emotional need that was necessary in your adolescence that wasn't met. It creates this narcissistic wound in your life that you seek that out in your adulthood uh, because you didn't get it in a nurturing way growing up. And that's not necessarily from a parent figure. It's just is from all kinds of different relationships. And so we don't know how to experience intimacy or often as parents, we don't know how to give intimacy to our kids in a healthy way. So then oftentimes they explore sexuality in unhealthy ways because they weren't given the, the, the essence of good intimacy. It's crazy to think about. Yeah, it is. So hopefully you're more comfortable talking about (laughs) sexuality and, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If if it was, I know we're not experts in this field. We encourage you to continue having these conversations with other people. But yeah, so if this inter- if this episode was interesting to you, you maybe found it challenging. Share it with someone. Have a conversation around it. And remember to review us, rate us. We love hearing from you. Reach out and share uh, it. Share, yeah, absolutely. Share this episode. But reach out if you want us to address something. Have questions on things. And uh, other than that, hopefully uh, you'll be back next week. And until then, just know you're loved and there's nothing you can do about it.